Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. And our adventure in venue land today takes us deep into the world of venue envy. If you've ever seen a venue or been to a venue and you kind of go, oh, we don't have that. Oh, I'd like that. I tell you what, I've seen a lot of SoFi Stadium all around the world right now. And I am definitely guilty of serious venue envy, which is why I'm so excited to have our guest today. Anjali Ravel, head of marketing for SoFi Stadium and Hollywood Park, right? That is correct, yeah. Let's just jump right in. Tell us what's happening there at SoFi Stadium. It's insane. It's crazy. So Hollywood Park is a 298-acre mixed-use development. The centerpiece of that is SoFi Stadium, the first NFL stadium in Los Angeles. And they broke ground in 2016 and started the development. And the whole development is happening in phases. So we're kind of in the preliminary phase with the stadium that's open. And we officially opened in September during this NFL season. Within the complex, there's a theater that is going to open. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, I know. We have a bunch of hidden secrets happening. <laughs> so all, all the reveals are going to happen within the next several months in, in 2021. But yeah, there's a 6,000 capacity theater that's going to come into play in maybe Q2. Cool. Along with that, there's another two and a half acre plaza that sort of combines both the stadium and the performance venue it's called the American Airlines Plaza. So it's a massive space that has just multi-use. It can be hosted for events and different sort of concerts and obviously, you know, NFL games and sporting events. And it is just truly one of the most magnificent ventures I've ever experienced. You know, to your point, David, like right now, we've only been able to feature it on television during the NFL games, the Rams and the Chargers. The stadium is the home of two NFL teams. Los Angeles hasn't had NFL football for over two decades, right? And all of a sudden now we've got two teams. We've got the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. And we've been able to have the stadium focused on, you know, television throughout the televised games. And trust me, it's just so difficult. When I first came on board here, I thought, like, imagine all the different kind of events that we would have for the industry here in Los Angeles, entertainment capital of the world, right? Sure. Just the visions that everyone had in terms of when we open this beautiful stadium, all the different great things that we're going to be able to do. And we will. Those are still going to come down the pike. We just have to get through this crazy time right now. Yeah, for sure. It's been such a crazy year. When you're opening a new venue in the Hollywood Park, what kind of unexpected challenges were there that came with opening a venue during 2020? Oh, I don't know. Coronavirus. <laughs> what is that? Tell me more about this. I know, right? At one point, I'm like, where do we miss the psychic network and having someone tell us what was going to happen? <laughs> it's interesting. I think that when they started talking about this development, there were so many different things that have happened, right? I think that, like I mentioned, they broke ground in 2016, and I think they were supposed to have everything done at a certain time period. And then Los Angeles got hit by this crazy season of torrential rain. Right. And we had the most rainfall we've ever had, I think, in the history of Los Angeles. And that slowed the process down. As they started building this stadium from literally ground up, and not only just ground up, but they dug 100 feet down into the ground to sort of build the stadium. Jeez. You know, you can imagine 
I can't even remember how many months of rain it was, but it literally just turned into a massive mosh pit, right? At that point. So there was all these little things that were sort of happening that kind of delayed the process and so forth, but then they got right back on track and started developing. And you could actually physically see the building come to life, literally from when the beams are being put in. And just when you think about how a stadium like that is built, and I think for me personally, like I came on board when the structure was pretty much up, but there were still beams everywhere. This canopy's roof wasn't up. And so I'm watching it happen in front of my eyes. On site, we had office space trailers out there. You actually witness it from ground zero and watching the whole thing happen. And it's the most spectacular experience in thinking at some point, this is going to be a full-fledged stadium that's going to host 70,000 to 100,000 fans at some point. And watching it kind of build up was insane. All the things that sort of happened as they started to build, we put our timeline in place when we knew the NFL season was going to start happening in September. And we had everything backed up at off come March, everything just sort of changed. And I don't think anybody truly, really understood back then in the spring. Like we just thought, oh, we're going to work from home. There's something happening right now. And everyone just sort of took their computers and started working from home. And little did we know at some point, months later, we still aren't going back to that office space. And we're still told that we have to work from home and all the different changes happening. And timelines for me is marketing, having to put together a full awareness campaign, right? People knew that there was this massive building being built, but no one really ever knew the story unless you were on the inside knew that there was an NFL stadium happening. This was our chance to start telling the story. And what do you do? Do you start spending money in the marketplace on billboards and out of home and everything when you're know, not sure like if you're going to have right. fans in the building? And so yeah. I really think that the 2020 keyword is pivot, right? I like that. I like that. Many times as people have said pivot, including myself, you know, you literally do have to actually pivot everything. So when you think you're going down one direction, you do have to sort of stop and reassess and think of that. And there's just so much unknown out there. So it kind of keeps you sort of in limbo. But we just kept moving forward. You have to still continue to build. The site was still being constructed. It was starting to go through completion. I obviously had to change our scheduling and, and events that we were going to have open in the summer. And everyone's done that. It's not just impacted us, but the whole industry as a whole, as you know. So everyone just works together on that. And then you go back and create another plan. Were there any silver linings that you think maybe came out of it? I think we're all kind of looking for positives that we, (laughs) you know, there's plenty of negatives and plenty of challenges, right? An endless list of those everyone's experiencing, but sometimes there's kind of this, well, this is interesting. It gave us a little more time to do this or a little more time to look at that. Are there any kind of things that were a sort of blessing in disguise that maybe you wouldn't have had if the world didn't shut down in March? Yeah. I mean, look, I think from the work side of things and opening up a stadium, absolutely. I think that you always will need that extra day. You will always want that extra week and just think there's one more extra project I can do. There's one more extra marketing campaign that I can put together because there's always a need to do that, especially in the beginning. You have one shot to get it right. You want to do it the best you can. So the silver lining, yeah, I think we bought some time. There was a lot of things that needed to get done. Again, building from ground up, we were building all of our infrastructures, websites, mobile apps, all of that. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of manpower. We were still ramping up staffing, sure, getting all of that done. There was challenges in that aspect of it. So yeah, every week that we gained by not having to launch something was a bonus for us. But at the same time, when I think about the silver linings and trust me, I, you know, Paul, you and I both know there's so many mutual friends we have that have really suffered during this time. Yeah, of course. And I think that a few of us that have been able to maintain some sort of employment. There's this guilt that comes along with it, right? Survivor's guilt, right? Survivor's guilt. And I think that also the silver linings for me, I sit there and I think back and I look back at the industries that I've been in from different hats that I've worn and the people I know. The only thing that I could say is 
when I talk about the stadium and when I post them on my social and obviously things that we do on the stadium social, it's just to provide a glimmer of hope. It's just to remind folks that we are going to get through this. There is going to be events. There will be a place where people in Los Angeles can go and globally descend on Los Angeles and go visit. To me, the stadium, that's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes that there is something that's going to happen and it will be great. And then the silver linings for me, the friends that I've talked to and the people in the industry, when else are you ever going to take this downtime? Right. You're right. You're right. So true. I know it sounds crazy to say it where I'm sitting. But you guys are doing a podcast. Did you ever think in your career, like while you were, you know, Paul, you're at the arena and and David, did you ever think that you'd be able to do this? Half my friends are making sourdough bread, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) people are getting healthy. When you think about the things, it sounds so cliche to say, go read those books, you know, that you've been wanting to go take those walks that you've been wanting to do in the morning, go spend time with family. I think that we forget when we're in the business and we're working our jobs and it's 24 seven, sometimes seven days a week you tend to forget about all the things that are important in life. Yeah. Ultimately, we are bringing entertainment to the world and to the fans and so forth. And that is fantastic. But I think we forget the balance of work life. And I think that this is a time where people hopefully are spending time making themselves feel better and maybe even, gosh forbid, looking for a different industry and looking at some of the other opportunities that might be right in front of them, but they never would have thought about. I certainly feel that way. Mind you, I might've gotten to this job before this happened, but I also remember thinking like when I decided to leave the entertainment business or the live music world and come over to this, it was scary. You know, I've only done concert promoter or being an agent or in music, working at a building, a live concert venue my entire career. And now here was an opportunity where I got to take marketing and know what I know about marketing and take it to a place where I'm opening a sports and entertainment center for Los Angeles. Yeah. No small task, right? <laughs> kind of like forced change, you know? Yeah. It's hard to sometimes take that leap. And it's so terrifying when you have comfort where you're at. And I think, like you said, this is forcing people to take that first step, whether they want to or not. True. Someone's pushing them in the back and you're going to figure it out. And yeah. I think that can be a good thing. Yeah. And I think it could be and will be probably for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, we have not been able to be in our comfort zone for any of us. No matter who you are and what you're doing, this is a time where we've all gotten out of our comfort zone, not necessarily by choice, but a lot of us have been able to find some great things out of that. Speaking of comfort zones, so many times a venue is so specifically aligned with a single team, or we've got an NBA team and then a WNBA team or an indoor football league team. And I know right there in LA, you know, at Staples Center, they have a couple of NBA teams, but what's it like having two NFL teams to call the venue home. How are you kind of balancing that? What's that like? I know. And like I said, Los Angeles hasn't had an NFL team for 20 years, I think. And so when Stan Kroenke decided to open the stadium and bring one of his teams in, the great thing about it is that I get to work with both organizations. So each team has their own full entity, marketing, communications, management, and so forth. Yeah. So we sort of treat them like they are our partners, obviously, within the stadium and tenants, and we're hosting them. So we're the stadium and they come in and have their game day experience for their fans and so forth. And, you know, I think that it's been really interesting. I came from the live music entertainment background, not really into sports at all. And it's been very interesting learning the fans that are sports fans. Sure, (laughs) They are very different. Well, not very different, but they're definitely a different mentality and passion than music fans are. Yeah, for sure. So it's been great learning about that whole experience and learning how to sort of cater to them and market to them and speak to them in sports lingo. But I think the great thing about it is both organizations are very 
unique in the sense that they both have their brand, you know, they're established, they've had their community and their buildup of their fans. And now we're able to sort of merge those and bring them together at some points during the course of a whole NFL season, which is great. Are the things you're able to do inside the venue to kind of try to give it some team branding for the different teams? Is that being all done digitally? Yeah. So the teams, when they come in to their specific game day, they pretty much have the keys to the house, whether it's on-site branding, anything that's on our video board, the LED ribbons, everything is really catered to who their partners are and who their sponsors and so forth are. It's really their event. So if they were to take this to any other venue, they would have all the assets that follow them. They certainly are able to do that at the stadium. As you can imagine, it's a full production. Our production broadcast team is working six days a week because, you know, every Sunday pretty much there's a game. So they have to switch out the content on all the different assets and the television, the IPTVs and so forth. And I think a couple of weeks ago, there was a slight change in the NFL schedule. We had two back-to-back games, a Sunday game and a Monday night football game. And so that was a lot of fun for the team. That was, you know, the first time that everyone sort of had to switch over from one team to the next, right? As the bus is taken off and other buses coming in. Oh my goodness. So it doesn't pose any challenges in the sense of like, Los Angeles is just one of those cities that is just a sports city. And that's why I think Staples Center can have two basketball teams and a hockey team. And there's a hockey team in Anaheim, just 26 miles south of us. People have asked about that. And I always sort of say in Los Angeles, you can have two massive concert promoters and you can have an event in Los Angeles. One night, you can have something at Staples Center, you know, Hollywood Bowl. There could be a Dodger game at the stadium and something at Honda Center in Anaheim and something at the Forum. And there will still be people going to every single one of those events. Yeah. So I think that LA is just accustomed to that sort of multitude of choices. It's such a big market and you've got a lot of people there. So there's plenty <laughs> of people yeah. to spread around to all the venues that are there. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a unique thing to have multiple teams, but maybe just all the teams will end up in California one day. You know, it seems like they're all, they're all gravitating that way. It's kind of the equivalent of leaning up one leg of the pool table and every one of them is flowing to California. <laughs> yeah. But that's cool. That's really exciting. It's very unique to have two in-house and I'm sure as much of it is a juggling match. It also is exciting from a branding and from the venue side, such a great opportunity to reach fans of both of those franchises. Absolutely. Normally you're kind of jumping on board of one and kind of writing the success of them and sort of trying to get some of that excitement over on the venue side, but you've got two of those now. So, you know, maybe one team's tanking that season, the other team's doing amazing. That's awesome, you know, or both of them are doing amazing. So I think it gives you a lot of flexibility there, which has got to be really exciting. Paul, it's a great point you brought up. You know, how do you manage that when you're looking at the venue social media? Are you a very neutral entity, kind of equally supporting both? Yeah, that's a really good question. Absolutely. We are definitely neutral, right? Our job is to really support both teams. And obviously we follow their lead. So each team has their own respective channels and apps and all that sort of stuff. So we are sort of the secondary support system for them. A lot of the content will sort of repost, retweet, redistribute after they put out. And then, you know, for us, like we always want to celebrate the wins and so forth. So we'll come up with some of our unique organic content to sort of support that. But we certainly are just more of a support mechanism for them at that point, which is always great. And to your point, we then have the access of sort of building fun, creative hashtags or, you know, do certain cross promotions or whatever, where we're able to bring in and share some of that data. Sports and entertainment are sometimes two. And when I say entertainment, I mean, the music side of things are two different animals, but it's been great kind of merging those together. And how are you kind of branding yourself there in the market? It's obviously, as we've been talking about, it's a crowded marketplace. Are you really pushing SoFi Stadium? Are you branding yourself through Socialist Hollywood Park a little bit as well? How are you kind of balancing that? 
Right now, the centerpiece is SoFi Stadium, and that's the one piece that is visible in the public eye at this moment through the NFL games and so forth. But like I mentioned, the performance venue is coming down the pike. You're obviously hearing it first, right? But that will be announced pretty soon. Everyone knows it's being built. They just don't have the details on it. And then the other side of it, the other phase of that is the Hollywood Park side, which is the restaurant retail. That's going to be in a different phase and that's still under construction. So when you're driving by the site, you're still seeing an active construction site to a certain side of the block. So we're marketing ourselves like you see the stadium, you know that's happening at this point. And then we're starting to branch out. Our next phase will be talking about the performance venue. And then by the time we are, you know, we're slated to have the Super Bowl in 2022, that phase one of that retail restaurant office space will be open by then. The good thing about this is it's done in phases, you know, right? We're not jumping through and trying to get it all done at one time because that would be a little overkill. <laughs> that would be crazy. And again, it's timing. Timing of all of it is really, really crucial, but it's done in phases. And so when you come on site there, you see what's happening there. Branding-wise, we're focused on right now, SoFi Stadium, and just kind of moving forward with that. Yeah. You use the word magnificent. And I felt like when I've seen visuals of SoFi Stadium on TV, yeah, that's the exact word that I would use. I mean... It's almost like a work of art. It's got its own unique feel. So let's talk about when new venues open. This is what Paul and I, especially, and so many of the people that come to the Event Arena Marketing Conference, are real arena nerds or venue nerds. <laughs> That's our core audience here on this podcast. So true. So talk to us a little about the stadium and the latest things there as far as technology and design. You know, I think one of the most unique features, again, I mentioned briefly that when they built it, they literally built it in the ground. It's subterranean. So they dug a hundred feet underground and started building this. And who would have thought that's the most crazy thought process behind that. And when you come into the stadium, the philosophy behind that, and I think I might've heard some of the architects talk about it at some point. When you think about Los Angeles, Southern California, you think about places that you go to and it's all indoor, outdoor. So when they built the stadium, they knew that this was going to be an indoor, outdoor facility. It was going to replicate all the things that people love about Southern California living. And so they built the stadium, dug a hundred feet in the ground and started building this. The philosophy behind that is when you go to an arena or anywhere, you walk into a building and you start walking up, you ascend into your seat, you go up. Here at SoFi Stadium, you walk up to the building, you're already five levels above ground Jeez. and you go down into your seats. So the psychological thought process, you're kind of feeling like you're moving into the field, you're walking towards the field, like you're walking to the stage. And it makes you have this thought process of this is actually kind of cool. It's a whole different experience when you walk into the building as you're descending into your space. The unique feature of it is 70,000 capacity to 100,000 scalable stadium. That's massive. But when you're in the stadium, it feels so intimate. And there's no other way for me to explain it, but it just feels like a wedding cake. Huh. It's just stacked, but it's intimate and round. And just, sure. I've heard people say it feels like it's an arena, but in a stadium. So it's got that feature that's really great. And we have an ETFE. It's equivalent to that. You remember the plastic screens that your old teachers used to write on projector screens? Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's the material of the roof. So people sometimes think it's an open roof. It's got that plastic that's throughout the whole canopy. So it helps the elements. It keeps the stadium inside cooler, but all around the exterior of the perimeters of the stadium is open. So you're constantly getting the breeze of Southern California. You're getting that whole indoor-outdoor feel. Wow, you have cool. a translucent, right? Transparent ceiling. So you sort of see that. I think like 40 of those panels sort of open. So if it got really, really hot, you know, Southern California, 11 and three quarters of a month, you're in crazy hot weather. You know, you have the ability to change the temperature. 
but it's just such a beautiful, unique building. And then in the centerpiece of this whole stadium is this massive, massive video board. That's what I think people walk in and first thing, it's an attack of the senses. It's 2.2 million pounds. Wow. 700 square feet of just digital LED. It's 120 yards long. So it goes from side to side. Goodness. It's up 122 feet off the ground. So wherever you're sitting in the bowl, whether if you're sitting up high, you're kind of looking at it straight ahead. If you're in the lower bowl, you're kind of looking up and it's dual sided. So you're either seeing it from the outside or if you're on the lower bowl, you're looking at it from the inside. And it is one of the most dynamic features. I think anybody who walks into the stadium for the first time, they literally gasp because it's just seeing it on television doesn't do it justice. When you see it come to life, the sound system and everything's embedded inside this video board. So it's just this massive, massive feature. And it's incredible. I cannot wait to visit. It just sounds awesome. It's so interesting. And I love it from a design side. You know, when you look at these old video boards in arenas, when they first started popping up, I don't know, in the 70s or something, or maybe earlier, (laughs) they're all these very boxy, small things. And now it seems like with stadiums, there's almost no edges. It's all very fluid. I know in Atlanta and a couple of the other stadiums, it's this very rounded, fluid video board, which I think is so beautiful. And of course, allows for all this technology with animations and graphics and game day graphics and things that would not have been possible if you have this little tiny floating box in the middle. And I think that's just such a cool trend that we're seeing with new technology and new screens. And just the different content that you could actually play on there. Imagine a concert, an artist that comes in and sees that, they're going to probably be very inspired to kind of almost create a set design around that. Sure. You know, which we're obviously hoping for. And just recently, part of Rocky's company, you know, he's got two esports teams as well, right? The Los Angeles Gorillas and the Gladiators. And so there's a lot of esports opportunities that are there. And I think just recently, they've had a couple of testing where they've had the gamers come in and play <laughs> video games yeah. on the sport, you know, on the board to test it out. And it's all is jealous. Sign me up to <laughs> test that. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, so the possibilities are endless, having the great technology and that kind of thing. The more I talk about it, I find myself just sort of geeking out because Paul, as you know, I've worked in different venues throughout my career. And the geeky part about me here is it's just such a beautiful venue. I love walking into spaces and venues where I just get lost in the aesthetics of it. And I think that when the architects talked about building this indoor, outdoor, very California-esque building, The blade columns that are up there are holding these curvatures of the different touchdown points throughout the stadium. And when you talk to the architects, they say that they were inspired by the coastlines of California, you know, or the swooping end of a wave. When you walk onto the building or you're in the building, you certainly feel that essence. It's not just a sports or an entertainment complex. It's really a place where you can just go and actually spend a day there because you're among lush landscaping. Every part of the building they took it to a whole different level. They want to make sure it's very, very fan friendly and the experience of it should be unforgettable. Let's talk about that fan experience. Obviously, we're not hosting a lot of guests at this point, but I'm sure there are some great stuff as far as whether you're a suite holder or just somebody coming in and the food offerings available. And so what's kind of unique there at SoFi Stadium that you're looking forward to showing off when the time's right? The sales part of it is just fantastic. We teamed up with Legends, who is our sales and hospitality arm, and there is a multitude of suites 
And there's amenities of all different levels. So depending on what level of the stadium you are, there's different styles of suites. You can have a cabana or a bungalow suite that's on the field level. That's cool. So right next to the end zones or off to the side or the 50 yard line. And you kind of go up a little bit higher. You're like an owner suite. And so they have really scaled it to just every sort of lifestyle, every sort of vision anybody would want to have any kind of experience in the stadium. They certainly managed to do that. And then, you know, just the food and beverage offering, which they're still kind of ramping that up, but they'll be obviously working with a very Los Angeles, Southern California curated menu items. You can only imagine what that can lead to. And just the different great chefs and content that they have on the culinary side of Los Angeles. They're going to fold all of that in. There's never going to be a reason you're going to want to go anywhere else. And sometimes you might just want to come to the stadium just to have a meal. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But it's going to be really, really dynamic. And they're, again, in the process of obviously ramping all of that up because our staff and management and so forth are very much tied in with the LA County Health and everyone trying to figure out what the next phases are going to happen. And so... We're just sort of ramping up to get prepared for that. And we're just hoping that we'll hear some good news soon. For sure. Yeah. I cannot wait to come visit. Seeing it open on TV, it's beautiful, but it had to be a little bittersweet because you just see all those empty seats and you know how excited people would have been there to walk in the doors. And they will be. I mean, it's kind of building its own mystique right now of like, yeah, how do I get in that place? When we are getting to that place, we will certainly make sure that folks that want to experience it will. At some point, they're going to offer tours as most stadiums do. And so we're excited about that. I think that the team that put together the stadium tours did a really great job. And so whether they're a resident here or somebody visiting from out of town and wanting to experience it, they're certainly going to get the essence of everything that I've kind of talked about from the aesthetics and why the stadium was built the way it was and just being dazzled by all the different amenities and video board and everything that's going to be surrounding them. I can only imagine what that thing looks like in person. So I'm excited to check it out. Hey, you know, we're talking in Adventures in Venue Land a lot about venues, but Mm -hmm. part of the podcast is also your adventure. You know, you probably had no idea at some point that you'd be head of marketing for SoFi Stadium, two (laughs) NFL teams there in the building. So let's kind of step back because for a lot of people, they can't even imagine how you got to that point. So let's go way back. Are you a California girl by birth? Yeah, no. Actually, I was born in Kenya, believe it or not. In Kenya? Oh, wow. But I grew up in Southern California, in Santa Monica. I'm a West Side girl, so I've been there since I was four or five years old, so I feel like I pretty much grew up there. Lived on the coast, lived at the beach, went up and down those curves that I'm around the stadium now. Grew up in Southern California, got a degree in journalism, thought I was going to be a journalist. I wrote for the community newspaper at Cal State Long Beach. I worked for the Press-Telegram while I was going to school there. I got my degree in journalism. But I've always just been a huge music buff, loved, loved, loved music and would go to concerts. I'd end up at concerts by myself and at festivals alone because I'm just going to go. If no one wants to go, I have no problems being by myself. And I just found myself always at events. And I ended up running into a woman who started an all-female production company called Ragamuffins Productions. Nice. And she started to curate and promote reggae concerts here in Los Angeles. Nice. And she ended up growing this whole event called, it was around Bob Marley's birthday, so Bob Marley Day. And so I loved reggae. And she said, you know, you look like you're a ragamuffin. Do you want to come join us? And I did. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Started working with this woman on producing concerts. And there was four or five of us women that kind of worked together. And this concert went from a park in Los Angeles to Santa Monica Civic to Long Beach Arena for multiple nights. And so it just ended up growing into this massive event. Well, that just sort of parlayed myself into really being behind the scenes, production, working as a PA, artist, industry, that kind of thing. Fell in love with some of my favorite reggae bands that I love. And again, reggae is just a passion. So it happened to be that. Left the newspaper, obviously. Was doing the concert stuff. I got a call from MCA Concerts. I'm dating myself here. 
MCA concerts, which ran Universal Amphitheater, but it was, you know, back in the day. And they said, you want a job in marketing? And I said, absolutely. So I jumped in, started the assistant to the marketing VP at the time and worked there for a little bit. But while that was happening, I found myself still working with those reggae acts that I befriended at the festival at Bob Marley Day. And they needed tour managing. So in between long weekends or whatever, I would jump on a tour bus or a plane and head to the Caribbean and go do all this. Ended up falling in love with that world. Sure. And I was young and was able to do it, was able to, you know, sleep in a bunk and be comfortable with that and do concerts. So I basically left the job at MCA Concerts, put some really great people in place, took off and ended up being on the road for about five or six years and did that and loved it. Got to travel the world with a bunch of my favorite artists and never thought I would ever experience anything like that. So that was an incredible part of my life. But at one point you come off tour and you're sort of in between looking for jobs. And I got approached by House of Blues at the time. And they said, we heard about you. We know that you've got some experience being with the artists and so forth. Are you interested in a publicity job at House of Blues in Los Angeles. And I hemmed and hawed because my experience sometimes going to these venues hindered how I felt about them. Yeah, I'm sure, right? So me being on a tour managing side, I was sort of like, no, I'm okay. I don't really need to go to the House of Blues because, you know, (laughs) there was probably an experience that I had at one point that didn't sit well. And the gentleman at the time, Kevin Morrow, who was head of House of Blues and running the whole ship there on the talent and booking side, just kept saying, give us a chance. You can come in and make a change on that aspect of it. Come in and make some differences. You'll have your publicity job. That's what you'll do on the day-to-day, but we can have you help grow the brand and help everything. So I did. I took a chance. I hung up my road case. And that's kind of a legendary team that was there with you at that time, right? It absolutely was. So I came under Kevin and at that time it was literally just House of Blues. They were owning and operating the clubs at the time. At that point, I think there's only four or five by the time I joined in. And so I got to come in on ground zero. Some of the buildings were not, but the one in LA was. Joined the company around that time and started to help building the brand for House of Blues and got to do that and just fell in love with it. I was at a place where I was listening to music seven nights a week. There was always music. There was a restaurant entity of it. There was a retail. There was a foundation room, which is a VIP experience. And so got to really kind of build that whole brand. At some point, Live Nation decided that they wanted to buy the House of Blues side of things. I think it was like 2007 or something. Live Nation came in and bought the House of Blues side of it. And at that point, it kind of threw me into becoming more a marketer for the arenas and amphitheaters and everything in Southern California. So I started to do that. And it was actually funny because at one point where I had a $1,000 budget, maybe $1,000 if I was lucky to promote a concert at a 1,100 to 1,500 capacity venue, I was then thrown into getting $150,000 to promote a concert at the Rose Bowl for you too. And I'm like, how do I spend that money? Obviously they didn't need the money to be spent on them, but so it was definitely a moment where I was thrown into a whole different world, learning marketing on a grander scale and really never having experienced that before, but falling into it and just doing it and asking questions finding people who can mentor me and get some really great answers. And I did. And I was very, very fortunate. So I did the stint at House of Blues for about 16 years and then was approached by Madison Square Garden. And at that point, they were relaunching the forum. And so I had to take that opportunity again. Moment where it was I had to choose between my safety net of where I've been comfortable and grew my career Or do I take this opportunity and go relaunch this iconic venue that I went to concerts at when I was 11, 10 years old? Sure. Being from Southern California and Los Angeles area, I was very familiar with the forum. So I took it on. I loved it. I fell in love with that venue from day one. Madison Square Garden did a lot of renovations to it and so forth. So was able to come in and open that iconic venue and be a great part of a team to do that. 
got to do that for a few years. And then there's another opportunity and here comes William Morris Endeavor saying, you know, you've been a promoter, you've done a building open. Are you at all interested in being an agent, learning how tours are done, being on the artist side? Why not? Right. <laughs> so it kind of felt like I went from the House of Blues side, so I went to the forum. And so I jumped into the WME side for a little bit, worked with a great group, Michelle Bernstein, and she brought me in as one of the tour marketers for the agency and got to work on the artist side of it again. And so that was great experience. And I knew at that point what the buildings were able to do. I knew what promoter was capable of doing. I was able to then sort of help the artist say like, we should ask for this, or maybe we should try this and diving into a different mindset of how I wanted to start my career and did that for several years. But while I was at the forum in 2015, I remember distinctly when Mr. Cronky, Stan Cronky did a press conference there. And at that time in 2015, they were determining whether they were going to go to Inglewood or Carson or something to that nature. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, please come to Inglewood because I would love to be a part of that. This was like back in 2015 and my mind was already set on that thinking, how do I get myself into this scenario? And so from 15 all the way to 2019 and just constantly checking to see their website, seeing when they were starting to put anything on LinkedIn or whatever about looking for a marketing. The minute I saw it, I threw in my resume and I literally went the old school way. I submitted it online and somehow miraculously someone called me and said, do you want to start the dialogue? And absolutely. I knew that my end game wanted to be there. I knew that this place was going to have the Super Bowl, the 2028 Olympics. Where else am I going to be able to have any kind of experience like this in my career? This is going to be cultivating to what I really want to do. As much as it was a scary process of jumping out of comfort zones and learning how to market and so forth, I decided to take the leap. And that's kind of how I landed over here. Wow. It sounds like you're really not someone that's, I'm in this industry. How can I grow and stay right in this lane and just get as far as I can? It's more, okay, I've done this Vinny thing. I'm going to go and tour around with people. Okay, I've done that. I'm going to yeah. go do this. And it's more of, you're not only thinking forward, you're thinking laterally forward and you're really trying to think of what is under this giant umbrella that I have not touched yet and how do I fill in that void? Yeah, I think that's so interesting that you've touched so many different aspects of the industry because so many people are generally just on the venue side or just on the promoter side, or they might jump back and forth a little bit, but to really be across the board and touch so many different sides of it is such a unique perspective too. Like you said, you know, you're coming into a venue having worked with artists and you're right. working with artists having been at venues. So it's kind of a really interesting perspective where I'm sure you know about all the skeletons in the closets <laughs> at every side of it. Yep. I plead the fifth. <laughs> you're right. And Paul, to that point, I think that that's where if there's one thing I tell people, especially now, and they're starting to feel like what's next for me and so forth is just keep an open mind to it. Because I have to tell you, even the year and a half that I've been here, some of the meetings that I'm taking, whether it's partnerships or sponsors and whatever, you start to see how there are companies out there that are chomping at the bit to get into what we know, what we're doing. You'd be amazed. It's about reinventing yourself. And again, it sounds so cliche, but this is the time to do it because when we do emerge out of this and we will, there's going to be this very huge need to fill the void. And there's going to be people that are looking for people who have tried different things and can bring something to the table. So I will always tell people, try something different for one second. You could always go back, but you could always take the knowledge that you had in the career that you built and you could take it elsewhere. And if you did everything well and you did it right and you were genuine about it, it's going to propel you to the next thing. Right. You really have to believe it. And it's scary. Taking that leap of faith is the scariest thing you have to do but it's so worth doing. And you know, everything, like you said, for me, 
I can now sit in meetings and when more promoters come into the building, I kind of know what they're looking for because I was that person on the agency side that was saying, what about all my billboards are going to be around? Can I be on the marquee? I already know that that's what they're going to ask for. So how do I get a step ahead of the game and put that in our marketing assets deck so that everyone feels like, oh, they know what they're doing. This is where we need to be. Yeah, It's a matter of we're all tapped in with so much knowledge of all the things that we've done throughout the years. It's just a matter of how do you best utilize that? I've always been a big believer in the more areas of the business you understand, the better you are at the job that you're in, because you can understand the challenges the other folks are facing. But the one thing that really sticks out with me for your adventure is that you often had somebody kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you could be good at this, or we'd like to bring you along to this journey. And it's because of those relationships you built. But what do you think it is about you that stood out in that position, help you to be pulled along in those ways to be recognized and considered for those roles? Wow. Thank you. Being seen that way is obviously a huge compliment and that humbles me. I think that it's about knowing where you fit in and what your passion is, but not being afraid to worry about jumping in the trenches. Sure. No matter what your role is, you can have a title, you can have a VP title, you can have a director title, you can have a coordinator title. One of the things I do is I will jump in. If my team has to do something, I want to be in it with them, right? Sometimes I could be accused of not being the best delegator because sometimes I'd be like, why would they want to do that? I wouldn't want to do it. So I'll do it myself. But I think it's about just being able to not worry about an ego, not worry about a title, not worry about anything else. It's about just being a part of the team and feeling like you are being supportive and supporting someone else. For me, that has always been something that I've done. I will be that person who can handle a marketing job at the House of Blues. But when it comes down to the end of the day, the green room server needs someone to help them clean up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to do it. Why should he or she do it by themselves? So that's always how it's been. We talked about the work-life balance. I will admit, probably my career has always taken the forefront and I've not always been the best in balancing my life with my work, Guilty, but I don't have any regrets of it. And I think that that's kind of who I am at my core. And I truly feel blessed by it, David. When you say that, I still pinch myself every single day when I wake up thinking like, how did I manage to get to where I am? The only thing I could do is be there for others that want that same opportunity, or I'm a huge believer in mentorship. I've had some of the best mentors myself, and I still to this day do, and I hope that they'll always be my mentor. And I can only turn around and do that for others that can use that support and advice. And sometimes it's telling them things they don't want to hear, like I heard, but it's also being a place where you could be really helpful to them. You talked about the ragamuffin days yeah. when I'm sure you're pulling everything together with bubble gum, shoestring and some duct tape, right? Making it all happen. Absolutely. But you had that great opportunity to work with a unique setup, which was a group of all women. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm sure at SoFi Stadium, it's a little different structurally than the ragamuffin days. A little bit. What did you take away from those days of working with that group of women? And I'm sure some challenges for you also growing up a little differently than the average person there in California. How do you think that helped make you the person you are today? I really do feel like it helped me build my core in the sense of I will always support other women. I think that the industry and the world is big enough to have all of us be successful. That experience being with Ragamuffin, a woman started the company. She hired three or four of us at a time to work with her. And as she grew, she ended up bringing on bigger promoters to help her. Obviously, when we got to the arena side of it. But it was the women that were on the ground doing every little aspect of it. And we were able to do it because we all supported each other. I think that that's what that taught me is that no matter what, we can sit there and talk about the truth of how it's a very male-dominated world, the music industry and so forth. But there is a place for every single one of us. And I think it's just a matter of finding a way to sort of 
be more supportive and more helpful as opposed to feeling threatened or being competitive. At the end of the day, you just sort of have to know what feels right and do the right thing. That's my motto. I think that you have to always do the right thing. And for me, it's always been supportive. It's not just about supporting just women. Obviously, men and women have to work together all the time. But I certainly feel like if there was an opportunity to help another woman come forth, I'm going to do that. And I can't tell you how many times, even probably more so on the agency side, just because it was around a lot of younger assistants that were out of college and getting the first job on the desk, working for an agent. And several of them would be in my office and ask me like, what do you think I should do? And if I could tell them, some of them, I would say, hang up the computer, the laptop and go jump on a tour bus and go travel the world and go do that. That really was a place where I learned a, how to be tough. I can't tell you how many times I've fallen in my bunk and cry. I'm like, I can't let anybody see me cry. I'm a woman, you know, you get beaten up on it, but it's the best kind of lesson to learn. For me, that's what I will always want to put out there as well. There's so many things you've said today that have just given me chills, to be honest, being very truthful. We've hit up some great stuff. If there's one key piece of advice for somebody who's listening to this podcast today, and maybe they're just getting their feet wet, they're a marketing assistant and they're struggling right now, and they're trying to figure out their path in life. What advice would you give somebody who is just kind of getting their feet wet in the live industry? What's the one key thing do you think you'd pass along? Find a mentor, find someone that you could talk to, that you could trust, that you could be very humbled and honest with. Because I think that having a source of truth that you can go to is always going to be key. Find a way, especially now you can, because there's a time to do it. Educate yourself, take every online course, sign up for a college class, learn how to do digital marketing, go learn to do CRM. I'm an old school marketer. I'm the person that found the TV spots and did the LA Times full page ads. And, sure. and now all of a sudden I'm like, what, CRM? What's that? So there's <laughs> stuff like dinosaurs like myself have to learn. But for the younger kids out there and the people that are just jumping in, Learn every aspect of marketing as it is now, which is all very much digital and data driven and all of that. Dive into that now because it's only going to progress. That's how everyone's going to be marketing. So be open to that. Don't be afraid to just try it. I think that sometimes we don't do things that we want to do out of fear. We're afraid of what the outcome is. We're afraid that we're not going to be good enough. We're afraid that we're going to get into it and we're not going to like it. You won't know until you try it. So don't let fear stop you. Just go for it. You have nothing to lose. You have all to gain. There you go. Very well said. Yeah. I feel like I tapped into an unknown source of intelligence here. It's been great. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I really love talking to you today. Thank you. That's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Before we let you go, I'm going to hit you with our fast five. We got five quick questions for you. Just looking for your immediate response. These are going to be real tough questions. All right. You ready? Oh gosh. I don't know. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Here we go. Your first concert. My first concert, Eagles. Your favorite concert. Oh, Gosh, really? That's tough, right? Mumford and Sons at the Hollywood Bowl. Nice. Oh, wow. The nicest artist you've ever met. Oh, my gosh. Paul McCartney. How about favorite venue that you haven't worked at? That's not fair. <laughs> what about your least favorite venue that you have? No, we won't talk about that either. <laughs> I know you have an answer for that one. Gosh, my favorite venue that I have not worked at, I can't even, one of my top ones was, I have to say, like there was something very magical and mystical walking into Radio City Music Hall. Sure. I think I saw Adele there. when. Remember when she did that concert that was televised? Yes. A few of us got to go and watch it. I remember walking into Radio City Music Hall thinking like just the history that's behind this beautiful theme. Sure. I would say that was probably one of my favorites. There's something about that place that is special for sure. Yeah. All right. Last question. Okay. What is your theme song? So there's a TV show all about you where they follow you around and document all your life. What is the song that plays over the opening credits that kind of sums up the life of? 
Oh man, am I going to be really cliche if I say just a girl by No Doubt? No. Go for it. I love No Doubt. I have to give my homies and No Doubt a shout out. I would probably say just a girl. That's a great one. Great choice. That's great. All right. So we talked a lot about SoFi Stadium, Hollywood Park. And for people who haven't seen it on TV or people that want to follow along on social, where's the best place for them to check out a little bit more? We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SoFi Stadium. And then, of course, they can always go to the website, SoFiStadium.com, which is a great way to kind of see what we are doing right now. And if somebody wants to follow you, is there a recommended place to find you on social these days? Sure. I'm Angelie Rovell on Instagram. You'll be bored because it's all pictures of the stadium. Poor Paul knows as all he posts is <laughs> my nieces, nephews, or the stadium images. <laughs> but they can follow me on Instagram at Angelie Rovell or on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being part of this today. So welcome. Best of luck to you out there. Like I said, we can't wait to visit and take one of those tours and check out that big video screen and all that fun stuff. I want to thank everybody for listening today to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We would love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.